Sarah Snyder, alcoholic. The sobriety date of September 22nd, 2017. And it was funny because I was talking to Susie before the meeting. We were joking how I was just going to get up here and just basically do a fourth and a fifth step on all the differences between here and California and the meetings. And so my first one is that we usually do 15-minute shares in California. So that's my number one on my list is having to do a 45 tonight for all of you. So, um... So, um, I have to stay honest tonight because Matt is here, unfortunately, and he keeps me honest, but um, this home group has been amazing for me after moving here from California and really getting re-anchored into the program. I hadn't really gotten too much into, back into um, in-person meetings after COVID. I was doing a lot of virtual and then kind of just stopped going, so I really appreciate you guys being here, so thank you. So, um, my story starts when I was a little girl. Um, So I grew up, um, obviously, in California. I was born and raised in California. And um, I was very middle class, probably considered upper middle class. And um, we didn't really talk about things in my family. Our form of communication was screaming, yelling, throwing things was a really popular form of communication in my household. Um, and so from a very early age, that was how I learned how to communicate. I'm first generation American. My mom's from Ireland and my dad's from England. And so I'm the only American in my entire family, believe it or not. And so, um, very early on, I always felt, um, different or apart from you. And I made it a point to separate myself from you. So when, you know, everyone was off celebrating Thanksgiving, we, like, didn't really do that, or we would always go to people's houses for holidays, and I would see them and their big families, and, like, it was always just me, my mom, and my dad, like, sitting at the dinner table, like, staring at each other, Um, and so from, like, a very early age, I always felt kind of, like, apart from or different than my peers, and um, I... Truly do believe that my alcoholism was apparent from the time that I was a young child. Like, I was always getting in trouble at school, always causing a ruckus. I got suspended in the fourth grade, like, if that's even a thing. Um, And so I was always just causing chaos, always in the principal's office. It was, like, always phone calls to my mom with, like, me doing something. And the biggest thing that was the common thread when I was younger um, from my mom, from teachers, from adults and people in my life was like, oh, but you just have so much potential. And like, I heard that my entire life. Um, Like, you just have so much potential. And so I always felt like I was never enough. Like, there was never anything that I could do that was going to be good enough. I was always comparing myself to everyone. I was always looking at any feedback anyone gave me through the angle of not enoughness. And it was like, always my interpretation of anything that my parents would say to me was always everything was not enough. And so when I was growing up, my dad was a heavy drinker and, um, you know, he just like randomly, not randomly, but he just stopped on a dime drinking when I was in fifth grade and, um, he's been dry ever since, which is a blast. And, um, so it's, 
was taught to me and like drilled into me my whole childhood, mostly from my mom up until the point that my dad stopped drinking and then from my dad, that you shouldn't drink, it's bad for you, there's no point, it's bad, like you don't wanna do it, like all of that. And so I was very gung-ho on this like sober train um, up until I got to high school. And so we had this, um, this club in high school that was a um, abstinence club. So I joined the club, and um, I was in the abstinence club, and uh, it was sophomore year before winter break. We were, like, setting up for this, like, presentation that we were going to give the freshmen um, after winter break about abstinence. And I signed up to do the talk, all this stuff. Winter break comes, I get drunk for the first time. Um, and so I have to come back from winter break and, like, sit in front of all these freshmen and give them a talk about staying abstinent and, like, all of this, all of this stuff. And so it's just, it was one of those things that was just super ironic and, like, funny. But um, the first drink that I ever took was um, tequila from one of my friend's parents' liquor cabinet, and that was where the love of tequila came from, and from there, like, the rest is history, so I, um, didn't get drunk the first time I drank, um, but I definitely had the feeling of, like, all is right in the world, like, this is what has been missing, um, and so it was that immediate sense of, like, relief, and, um, yeah, just like the thing that had been missing from my life, from my existence, like everything just made sense after I took my first drink, or so it felt. And I wanted to do it again, and so I kind of, for the rest of high school, um, just was like a weekend warrior, and, um, you know, would drink like Fridays through Sundays, pretty much, like, and nothing too... Um, crazy was happening, I would say, or like out of the ordinary in terms of the amount that I was drinking. So like I was getting drunk, I wasn't blacking out, but my behavior when I was drinking was more so what was the problem when I was in high school. And so it manifested itself in, again, the anger, the throwing things. I was 100% in high school and college. Like, it's funny, because people who only know me in sobriety, like, even they can imagine this. I was 100% the woo girl, the one on the tables, the one, like, you know, doing all the things. And so that's just, like, what it, what it was in high school. Um, and then college rolled around, and I went to a school in Southern California. It was a really small private school. And... Um, yeah, it was like three and a half, four thousand undergrad, like teeny tiny. And um, it was the first time that I was away from my parents, and that's when my drinking, of course, really took off. And so um, my freshman year, I went wild my um, first semester. And I was drinking probably like four or five days a week. We were buying alcohol every day. I like was starting to go, not on like full-blown benders, but I would say like drinking for like a 24-hour period. Um, and yeah, like I kind of, I recognized at that point, it was only like in the last year or two that I realized that I recognized at that point that like something was going wrong, like things were starting to go off of the rails, um, because I was just like drinking an insane amount, and it was like with 
even with being in college and stuff, like I was still drinking more than my college friends. And that to me was like a big indicator, like, okay, I needed to slow down all of this stuff. So my second semester of freshman year, I stayed dry. It was like a whole four months. Like it was, I did it, right? Like four months, I didn't drink at all. And I wanted everyone to be super proud of me and commend me. And it was like this whole thing. It was like a really big deal. And um, I ended up pulling really good grades that semester. I got like a 3.9 and my dad held me to that standard for the rest of my time in college, which was a big mistake because that was definitely not what happened. But it was like the first time that I had quit drinking for a period of time since I had like intentionally quit drinking for a period of time once I picked up my first drink when I was what, 15. Um, and it didn't last, right? Like, things went well. Nothing went wrong during those four months. Like, things went well. I got good grades. Um, you know, my relationships and stuff, like, didn't suffer, obviously, with me not drinking. Like, if anything, they were probably better. Um, but uh, summer rolled around, and I started drinking again. And when I came back my sophomore year, I had like known people and I was living with the people who I had drank with my freshman year first semester. And then at that point, um, that was when everything kind of went awry for me. And so I joined a sorority, which we weren't allowed to do until my sophomore year. The only reason that I joined a sorority is because those are the people who drank on campus. I was not a philanthropist by any means. Um, so I joined a sorority and I was drinking with all the frat boys all of the time, like drinking the frat boys under the table. And it just kind of became this like running joke, me and this one, one of my friends who was in my like brother fraternity were always the two continuing to drink after everybody else, continuing to, you know, stay up and like keep the party going and like everyone would be coming to like the chapter meetings that we had on Sundays and we would still be drunk from like the Friday night before and it just became this like running thing that it was always just going to be us like being a shit show and oh my god sorry um and so I just like at the time I would say like sophomore and junior year didn't see it as a problem I 100% embraced it as my identity like it was just I carried it like a badge of honor. It was funny to me. It was just like my identity and it was just like what I was known for and I had absolutely no problem with that. Um, and there was always just like random rumors and stories and videos of me like going around my college because it was so small. There was like, I used to get super, um, be very prideful in the fact that I had <laughs> a video of me drunk on the toilet in every fraternity bathroom on campus. That was like one of the things that I was proud of, right? And so these were like the things that I was like super stoked about in my, in my four years of college. And um, it was somewhere between junior and senior year when like everything just really tanked. I like was a couple days late going back, to, like driving back down to school after summer break or winter break or something because I was like too drunk and couldn't get my life together for like three days. So I was like late going back down to school. I was going on like three, four day benders. Um, and it was at this time that I started 
noticing and recognizing this like cycle that I had been put in, which like I was like somewhat aware of back when I was drinking, but I've obviously been made more aware of now is it was like this constant cycle of like my parents paying for me to go to college because they didn't want me to be in debt them calling me and saying it was super expensive and they were sacrificing a lot to put me through school and then me being ashamed that I was just drinking and throwing away the education that they had been paying for and turning to the bottle again when my mom would you know tell me all of this and they would tell me that they were so proud of me they had no idea that I wasn't going to classes that I was failing out of classes like failing my community service class just like really you know like dumb things um I wasn't passing and um it just became this like really awful cycle where I was just like in so much shame that I was drinking myself under the table and then I would be really shameful of the fact that I couldn't get my life together because I was drinking myself under the table and so that was what senior year looked like and that was when I really started like June well junior year was when I started blacking out a lot but senior year was when I would start admitting that um, I think I had a problem only when I was blacked out and then people would want to come to me and like talk to me about it the next day and like get me help and I'd be like I have no idea what you're talking about like I don't like let's not go there kind of thing um, and yeah things really just like I became really aware of my drinking problem my senior year of high school or of college so I graduated um, not by any means with the number of credits or any sort of integrity or education to show for it. It's simply just a piece of paper with the, you know, I have a bachelor's on it. And um, I prided myself on that degree a lot, like while I was in college and I came back home and like hung out with my friends who were in community college or even after I graduated, like that degree was everything for me because I can't be an alcoholic if I have a bachelor's in like biology. Like, don't you know that's one of the hardest majors? Like, all of the things, and it was just like my my thing that I anchored into and held on to, so that I couldn't be an alcoholic. Um, but again, like with the shame deep down, I knew that like I hadn't done well in any of my classes. There was so much cheating going on. I was like, didn't show up to take half of my tests because I was like blacked out. Like I was just thinking about that on St. Patrick's Day. I was blacked out by 8 a.m. on St. Patrick's Day, my senior year of college, and like couldn't go take my 8 a.m. physics class. Like that was what my quote unquote education looked like. And I was the, I guess I was the only one who knew that. I'm sure people around me knew that too, but the only thing that mattered to me is that my parents didn't know that that was the extent of my drinking. So I come home, I move back in with my parents and um, my drinking just continues. Like nothing gets better after college. Like I thought it would, right? Because I'm like an adult now, I need to go into the real world and like get a job and like none of that happened. And I started doing a bunch of other forms of substances. Like that's where my alcoholism took me. And um, I ended up getting a missing persons report because I, went on a like three or four day bender just like forgot the fact that i was living back home with my parents and i like wasn't in school anymore and um i called my mom i got woken up by my friends saying like your parents are messaging me on facebook like they're concerned about you whatever and um so i called my mom and she was crying on the phone and she's like it's so good to hear your voice like 
I'm so glad you're okay, like all of this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like she's being so dramatic, like literally no regard for, for my mom. I just thought it was just like, yeah, I just like thought she was being dramatic and like being really OTT about it. Um, and that was just like what my drinking looked like. It was how I regarded everyone in my life and like their opinions of what I was doing and like how I was like affecting them was very just like you're being dramatic, like stop. Um, and I came home from that. They had to like see me in person, the police, to close out the case file. So they come. I lived in a court back in um, my parents' house. And so they come like whizzing down the court. It's like literally noon. And they have all the sirens like blaring. And I'm standing in the street wearing like guy's clothing that's like four sizes too big for me. I haven't showered in three days. I was like in a pool for like two of the days when I was drunk. Like I don't even know what I was doing. And I have like mascara everywhere and I'm standing there and it's me, my mom, and this cop and all the neighbors are like looking out their windows and like all of this stuff. And the cop's standing there asking me questions in front of my mom like, did you have access to food and water while you were while you were gone? And I was like, yes, sir, I did. Like, I was not kidnapped or, like, you know, whatever. Um, And it was, like, one of those moments in my story when it was just, like, the epitome of incomprehensible demoralization. Like, I, it was just, like, it felt like one of those times when it was, like, the bottom of the barrel for me. And so I went inside. Um, Again, it was, like, noon, 1 o'clock, whatever. I went inside, I took a nap, I woke up, it was like 5 o'clock, and I told my mom I was going back out to the bars. And she just like looked at me and she was like, why? Like, what are you doing? Where is your car? Like, all of these things. And I was like, I don't know, and like, I don't care. Like, I'm going back out. So, that was kind of what my drinking looked like at the end. I had no regard for anybody else. I hadn't really built anything in my life. Like, I didn't have anything to lose. Um... And, yeah, and so that was kind of where I was at. And my bottom is nothing profound, I always say. Um, Like, kind of tell my story in this way, but, like, my bottom is nothing profound. I simply just hit a spiritual, mental, and emotional bottom. Like, I just bottomed out. There was nothing, like, external. There was no circumstances, no consequences that um, had me surrender and, like, brought me here. It was simply just that like little nudge that we all get from a higher power. And so I was driving home one night with this guy that I had been drinking with for the last couple of weeks of my sobriety because he was the only one that would put up with me. And he would drive me everywhere and he would buy me drinks. It was great. And we were driving home and um, I couldn't pay my bar tab or something like that. Like I racked up a big bar tab, I couldn't pay it. He was sick of paying for it, so I'm like crying, which was not uncommon when I was drunk. And um, we're driving home, and I was telling him like, oh my God, like I just don't want to be drunk anymore. And he was like, that's fine, go to sleep, wake up, like you'll be fine. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, I don't want to be drunk anymore. And that was not me. Because if you had asked me at that moment, like I would have drank every day for the rest of my life. Like I didn't want to not drink at that point and so I was sitting on the curb outside my house like
chain smoking cigarettes at like three o'clock in the morning and like pirate eyeing my phone, like trying to look up AA meetings, like sitting on this curb. Um, and then I woke up the next day and like unlocked my phone and it unlocked to the meeting guide that I had been looking at. And so I decided to go and I went to my first noon meeting. It was like one of those, um, one of those kind of like meeting halls where they have meetings like every day at noon where like people talk about their broken lawnmowers and like, you know, like the same, like just all of the, the same things every day. So it was one of those kinds of meetings, but um, I stood up and just said like, I'm Sarah, I'm an alcoholic. And all these women came and approached me after the meeting and it was like the weirdest thing ever. And I didn't know what anyone wanted from me and everyone wanted to hug me and I was like hungover and just like gross so I didn't want anyone like getting near me but they insisted um and the thing about that meeting was that I felt at home the second I heard people sharing like me um getting shoved into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is not my story and me um not wanting to be here when I got here is honestly not my story. Like when I first walked in, I heard people talking. I immediately resonated with what people were saying. People were speaking a language I had never heard and explaining things and like thoughts, feelings, experiences that I had been through that I had never had vocabulary before, like vocabulary for before. I felt like I had struck a gold mine. Like I was addicted to coming to meetings at first and I just wanted to be sitting in the room surrounded by you guys, surrounded by people who were sober and like not drinking. It was like the wildest thing to me. And so um, I didn't have a job. So I was going to like four or five meetings a day when I first um, came into the rooms, but I wasn't, ready to actually stop drinking. I was scared and I couldn't imagine my life with alcohol and I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. I remember saying to my first like official sponsor, like I was worried about not being able to have a drink at my wedding. And she was like, are you, do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, no. <laughs> She's like, okay, like what, then what? Like calm down. Um, and that was just like the way that I thought about things. Like I could, I just could not imagine my life without drinking, like everything I did revolved around drinking, my schedule, my planning, my like, my money, my finances, um, everything revolved around money, my relationships, like the people I had in my life, all of it revolved around alcohol. And so I just could not fathom like what my life would look like. And um, eventually what happened was that, that like, that call and the things that I kept hearing in the rooms and from you guys and from your stories eventually brought me to the point where my desire to not drink started to outweigh my desire to drink. And I set a sobriety date, I stopped drinking, got a sponsor, started working the steps and was sober for like 30 days, went to an Irish Catholic funeral um, my grandma passed away, so we went to Ireland, and I got drunk. I relapsed around my entire family, which, like, I obviously never drank around my entire family because they all don't live here, so that was, like, 
a night of a ton of wreckage. I had many events to make from that night, so I drank that one night and came back. I think I was like hungover on the plane right back, which was like horrible. Um, but I got back and I got a new sponsor and started working the steps with her and have been sober ever since. And so I think it's like super easy for me to say that I just like worked the steps and did all the things that I was told and like that's what kept me sober but that's I mean that is obviously a part of it but the reason that the steps worked for me is because they helped me develop a power or a relationship with a power greater than myself and all of the small things that I was doing and the small actions that I was taking I will say that like there were some of the actions while I did always want to be here there were actions that my sponsors had told me to take that I did not want to take that I did anyway um but my higher power was what led me through and navigating all these different things in my early sobriety and obviously now still but like I remember calling my sponsor my first year there would be things that were like the end of the world right like the house was on fire 911 like I needed help because like someone had said something to me like that wasn't very nice or like whatever like there was all these these like big catastrophes and she would always tell me like this is literally just an eyelash like in comparison to your entire life like you need to calm down and be like yeah but the eyelash is in my eye and it's like really bothering me and like this is a big problem right now and she would tell me go help someone like go help someone go help someone go help someone and like she would just tell me that over and over and over again. And she'd be like, where is God in this situation? And like, it was through really strong sponsorship in my first year. I learned like that everything that I was learning when I was going through the steps was to pass it on to somebody else. And supposedly, I won't put it that way. Supposedly her only job was to lead me back to my higher power. Um, and I put it that way because I had that sponsor until my first year. And then we parted ways. But I... Um, she was really um, influential in, in my sobriety and really rooted some amazing, um, amazing things in me from really early on. And so, through again, like throughout my entire time doing the steps, like when I first got here, I didn't really have anything against God, but I also didn't have like a relationship with God. I didn't understand or couldn't even fathom. Um, the power of something greater than myself and when I did my first round of steps when I did my first second and third step I didn't really think twice about it like I didn't um put a lot of thought into it I was just open and willing to believe that there was something out there that was greater than me but it's only as I have continued working the steps, worked the steps again, like, that, um, I've been able to now learn and understand what it means and how to actually tap into a power that is greater than myself, and there's so many cool things in my life today that I've been able to do because of that relationship with the higher power, like, I, get to help women today and I get to one of the things I was thinking about actually when I was 
meeting with my sponsor before this meeting and she was telling me about this guy that um, she knew in the rooms and it was like incredible that he was sober and there was this guy at um, this meeting hall that I used to go to in my first like year, my first like probably two years of sobriety. We had a midnight meeting, um, which was like where all the cool kids hung out, the ones that like didn't have jobs and all the young people, like all of that. And so I was at that meeting every night religiously, um, and at least my first year. And there was this guy there who was like, he was homeless, he was like a hot mess, he was always covered in piss, like all of the things outside the front of the meeting. And he was in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, like just couldn't get sober. And I remember. I hadn't gone to that meeting in a while, and then I was like two and a half years sober. It was like a couple weeks, I think, before COVID. And um, I went back to not that meeting, but a different meeting at that meeting hall. And he was there, and he was sober, a year sober. And it was like the wildest thing for me to see. He had a place to live. He was wearing clean clothes. He was like carrying the message, and it was like one of the coolest things that I have like ever seen in Alcoholics Anonymous like you get to see people come in to the rooms and I've had the privilege of watching women come into the rooms too whether or not I sponsor them and like watch them get sober and get time but I think when you see the like really um quote-unquote extreme cases and you get to witness the miracle of that and the longer you stay the more and more you get to witness things like that like that's when I, it's things like that where I can be 100% certain that there has to be a power greater than myself. Like there is no way in the world that that guy knowing how he lived his life before and like all of his circumstances could have gotten sober if there wasn't a power out there that was greater. Um, So the longer that I stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, the more people that I work with, the more my not even understanding but the more my concept of a power greater than myself can grow and one of the things that I remember was said to me early on that always sticks with me is like if you're having big problems or like if your problems are bigger than God then you need to make your God bigger like your God need to make your God bigger than your problems um and I still have to remember that Today, right? Like, there are many things in my life that I have learned to turn over in my last couple years of sobriety. Turned over Matthew. That was a big one. Um, And I've turned over, you know, just like different relationships in my life. Like, I've turned over things with my parents. And I've turned over, um, you know, I don't know. The main thing is, like, relationships and, like, people in my life. And I've turned over things you know, there's definitely some things that I've turned over and places I've turned over. But what I've come to realize now at this point is that there's so many things that I have turned over and there's still things to this day that I hold on to. And so one of the big things that I've been talking to my sponsor about is like money is a big one for me. And um, I had the privilege and it's like a literal miracle today that I own my own business which is like the coolest thing that would not be a thing if I wasn't sober but that is another thing that kind of goes along with the money thing that I have a lot of trouble turning over 
And she literally pointed out the line in the book to me where it's like, God is your employer. And I'm like, right. Um, so even today, like, there's still things that I have to turn over, over and over and over again, and things that I constantly take my will back and want to control and want to be the person directing, and it's a constant, um, it's a constant surrender for me and a constant, um, almost like, it's like a dance, but I don't want it to be, right, where it's like this back and forth, and more and more do I get better at leaving it in God's court than taking it back into my own kind of thing, like, if I think about it, maybe more like a tennis match with the ball going back and forth, like, it stays more with God now than it does with me, but there's still areas in my life where I take the ball back a lot, and it's a constant, um, a constant practice for me, but everything in my, I was thinking about this too, like everything in my life today has a thread back to AA. Like all of the people in my life today, there's some sort of thread back to AA, right? Like whether that is the people that I know now because of the rooms or even relationships that I've already had that are still in existence, right? Like with my parents, I obviously let go of a lot of my relationships and my friends from when I was drinking. But like with my parents, like my relationship with my parents today looks completely different because of AA and making amends and getting to allow them to be them. Um, which is also one of the things that has been super helpful for me throughout my amends process is just remembering that literally everyone is doing the best that they can. Um, you know, my dad isn't trying to be a bad dad, and my mom isn't trying to be a bad mom, or traumatize me, or like whatever. Like, nobody's trying to do those things. Um, everyone is literally just doing the best that they can, and that has been really helpful for me in my relationships with people today, and with others and helping me again like not separate myself from you but rather like do my best to be one with you instead and um I don't remember what I was saying I was going on a tangent it's fine um so oh that's what I was saying so everything has a thread back to AA so all the relationships in my life today all the things that I've been able to do in my life, whether they relate directly to alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous or not, like, are all tied back to AA. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today if it weren't for AA, meaning, like, in the state of North Carolina. If I didn't have a relationship with a higher power, didn't have faith in making, like, a wild decision to move here and to get a house when... We know literally nobody, like we knew nobody in the area. Um, and so it's stuff like that today that I get to do because I have faith in a power greater than myself and I have a relationship and like because of that, my life today is like the coolest thing. Like I wouldn't trade my life today for anything. And there's a lot of things that I like to complain about, that I like to get upset about. I was talking to Alyssa before the meeting, like, 
telling her how our like backyard is ripped up right now because somebody in AA, don't you know, is helping us do work in our backyard. But I was like, it's really a rich um, beach problem to be complaining that the backyard is ripped up because we're getting electrical wiring put in because our family's coming to visit us in their brand new fifth wheel. Like, excuse me, my life is so hard today. Like, it's, um, I really have to be careful and like remember where I was literally just five years ago. And that's been the thing that I think about constantly. I don't know if it's like because of like my line of work, I think about like time frames a lot and like how fast things can happen. And so when I look at my life and what I've been able to accomplish and what my sobriety looks like and what my relationship with God looks like in the last five years, it's wild to me and it's crazy to think that it's just within a five year time span that I can't even recognize myself or my life or my conception of a power greater than myself today, like my conception of God, none of it is anything I could have dreamed of, I could have hoped of, like I would never have guessed or even been able to imagine half of the stuff in my life today would have been my life. And I will end on this. It um, used to drive me nuts when I came into the rooms because I came in when I was 21, ended up actually setting my sobriety date and getting sober at 22. And um, it used to drive me nuts when people would come up to me and be like, you're so lucky to have come in the room so early. Like, you're so lucky that you're here. Like, are you so grateful? And I'd be like, no, absolutely not. Like, I'm sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous at 21 years old. Like, I'm absolutely not grateful to be here. Thank you very much. Like, um, and it used to drive me nuts. And then I hit a year and I was a blubbering mess, like taking a chip or what do you guys call them here? They're not chips, are they? Medallions, <laughs> medallions. Um, and just like crying, I was just so like, couldn't fathom what my life had become. The fact that the obsession had been removed and I didn't want to drink was like the wildest thing to me. And, um, I realized that I was grateful to be here, and I was grateful that I came into the room so early, and I'm grateful that I have stayed, and that I've put in the work, and that I have built a relationship with a God of my own understanding, and um, grateful for what he has done for me in my life, right? Like, I'm grateful to have had that experience at the age that I did, because now, again, like when thinking about this timeline of like all of the things that have happened and how things have unfolded in just five years alone, I'm like, I feel like I have my whole life ahead of me and I get to be sober for that today and I get to spend that time working with Women Alcoholics Anonymous and like seeing them grow and flourish in their sobriety and like 
by the time I hit like a year sober, maybe a year and a half sober, there genuinely was nowhere else that I would rather be than in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And while I wanted to be here when I first got here, I was not stoked about it. Um, but today I am. I'm blessed and like genuinely excited to be here. I like coming to meetings. I like coming early and seeing all of you. And I like reading the book and I like not speaking. <laughs> you don't like doing that, but like I like, you know, just like all of the small things that I was taught to come early, to stay late, to take out trash, to clean coffee, to stay for business meetings. That was so funny. Someone was like, we knew we were going to be a home group. Remember when you came to this meeting for the first time and you stayed for the business meeting? I was like, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's my life today is just what I couldn't, couldn't even imagine. And I'm grateful to be here at the age that I am doing what I'm doing and doing it all sober and doing it with you and doing it all with God. So that's it. Thank you so much.